Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. to uh, just call Vian Brown up to the front. Um, Brown, this is a great time for you to adjust that thing, otherwise it's going to be awkward. Um, <laughs> so Brown, as you guys will have known, if perhaps you visited us last year or you've been around, um, Brown is one of the faithful servants in the house um, to this very day. I've, I've, I've never come across a situation where Brown thinks you'll rather organize someone to do it. No, he just goes and he does it. Okay, and um, such a faithful heart, such a servant heart. And uh, we really hope that in this year, and we believe it's in God's will for Brown to actually come through and to, and to start ministering from the pulpit and to, to come and teach us. We really believe that the Holy Spirit's working with you um, to do that and developing you. We see the fruit of it. So tonight we're excited to hear from you, Vian, and thank you so much for blessing us. So we all are at different phases in our lives, and I believe that there's key truths in these passages for all of us. Whether we are near to God, whether we are far from God, or whether we've never really known God. And uh, if we can just read that together in the next slide. Starts in Revelations 2. To the angel in the church in Ephesus, write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. And just to explain that first verse, the seven stars are the seven angels to whom Jesus writes the, the letters to the churches. And then the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. So Jesus is just saying, you know, in that passage when he says that he is walking among the lampstands, he's saying that I am present with my church. I am not the one that has moved away, but he is always the one that is present. And if you can read further, it says, I know your deeds, your toil, and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you have put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you have found them to be false. And you have persevered and have endured for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. And if we can just stop there for a moment. Now when you look at those two, two scriptures, it sounds like the very epitome of churches. You know, that words deeds, toil, and perseverance speaks of works done unto God to the point of weariness, and they are enduring in that. And they cannot endure evil people, so you know, they are in a state of moral purity. It's not that they do evil things. And as well, the people that came to taught there, the apostles of those days, they tested some of them and proved them to be false. So their doctrines are spot on. They are people of moral purity and they are full of good works. And they are enduring for Jesus' name. I mean, what, what's wrong in this picture? It sounds like the very epitome of churches. You know, what, what is your idea of a church near to God? Because this, this was mine a while back. You know, if we are full of good works and we are in a state of moral purity and all of our doctrines are right, then surely we are a church near to God. And we were at our regional pastor's summit um, just um, this week, and our regional leader, Philip, he asked the question, you know, what, what is our hope for this year? And a lot of the pastors, you know, they, they, they aimed at this and say, no, we, we want to be full of good works. We want to grow in our doctrine, and we want to be a people of moral purity. And... Uh, and I told some of the guys that, yes, this all seems good. You know, in the beginning of the year, there's many things that we want to do. And there's many places that we want to grow to. But my hope for the year is that we would be a people that's in the presence of God. That we would be a people that is near to God. And whatever we do this year, 
that we would stay near to God. Because somehow in the midst of, you know, a new year, we drift away from God. And when it's intercession time in the end of the year, and, you know, you ask, has anybody got a, hear, a word on their heart? And they say, yes, rest, because everyone's tired. And it's not because we are tired because we've done a lot of things, but mostly because we drift away from God. I loved what Lauren said. You know, he had no energy, and God just called him to draw near to him because he is the one that gives us that energy. You know, and on many times we, we hear people say, no, I feel far from God, or I feel near to God. And I want to ask the question tonight, you know, how do you define that? When would you say you are near to God? When would you say you are far from God? You know, in the picture John sees in Revelations 1, Jesus walking among his churches, he sees Jesus in all of his fullness, in all of his glory. You know, so God, he doesn't reveal himself partial to anyone. He is here in all of his fullness. He's present. And A.W. Tozer, he writes and he asks the question, you know, he wonders why some Christians walk around with half a revelation of God. Or why some Christians walk around, you know, not actually feeling that close to the presence of God. Because God's will for all of his people is the same. So the limiting factor does not lie with God, but it lies with us. He's here and he's present. And you know, as good as this church sounds, you know, when we go to the next verse, we see the big disclaimer. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen... And repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaians, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So firstly, you know, we see this, this negative statement, you know, Jesus saying, You have drifted away from me. You have lost your first love. And then he speaks the word, you know, if you do not repent, I'll move your lampstand out of its place. And the word that he says there, it has two meanings. Firstly, when Jesus comes and he removes our lampstands, when we have drifted far away from him, he removes our effectiveness as a church. Because we are called to be a light to the world. So if he removes our lampstand, we cannot be lights to the world anymore. And then that continues because he grants this period for us to repent and turn back to him because he's slow to anger and abounding in love. And then if we still do not repent and return to him, he removes the church out of its place. And I thought to myself, yes, you know, can this be? Because it doesn't seem like a bad church. They're full of good works, moral purity, their doctrines are solid. You know, would God really remove this church if they do not repent? And we learned that in the year 700 BC when Islam invaded Ephesus, it wiped out the church there. Not one of the churches to whom these seven letters are written are still remaining today. They all are removed. You know, it's actually so overwhelming because it seems like such a good church. Their doctrines, their works, their toil, their deeds. And Jesus is saying, no, no matter what you do, if I am not at the top, if I am not the very affection of your heart and your first desire, then no matter what else you do, I will remove because he's a jealous God desiring for us to be with him. He wants to be number one. And that's what he did with this church. But then again, there's also the positive part. Where he says, if you do repent, I'll grant you to eat of the tree of life. And that again just shows to that restorative purpose of God. Because the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden. It will again be in heaven one day. If you can read in Revelation 22. 
So he's saying, you know, if you endure, if you turn back to me and you desire my purpose and my presence for your life, then you will be again with me in heaven one day. And, uh, you know, just to ask the question, you know, for us as well, many times in my life, I've, in the midst of church, in the midst of small group, in the midst of intercession, drifted away from God. And I've lost my first love. And I'm sure the same is true for many of us sitting here tonight, you know, and the question we should ask ourselves is how in the midst of everything good, good people surrounding us, church, small group, how is it that we drift away from God? And again, I'm not saying all of us are here. You know, you know where you are at tonight. If you feel close to God or far from God, if you've never really met God and say that He's your first love. But we're just going to focus on that part in Revelation 2 verse 5 where God says, remember and repent. We're going to ask ourselves the question, you know, if I am close to God, what can I do to remain close to God? What's the truth that I can take for myself to remain close to Him? And if I've drifted away from Him, you know, what is the things that I can do to repent and turn back to God? You know, and if you've never really known God, the, the answer is quite simple. Just accept Jesus because He's abounding in love. And he will never turn you away. So I hope I can give you four points tonight to just keep God as your first love or either return to Him. So if we can go to the next slide. This is Jeremiah 2, and I just would encourage you guys to go and read it for yourselves. Um, very similar to the people of Ephesus at the time. Just a bit more dense scripture and some 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 hard words that God uses, you know, to address the nation of Israel back then, that have also turned their hearts away from God. And in this scripture, we learn a lot of things that God addresses that say, you know, this is the things that you have forgotten. These are the things that you should remember, and these are the things you can do to return back to me. So if you can read there, verse 6 together. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of desert and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. And then verse 19. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. So this happens when we drift away from God. We we lose our awe and our reverence for the presence of God. And we forget what God has done in our lives. Because he says to the Israelites, you know, as soon as I led you up out of Egypt and you came to the land that I promised to you guys, you, you forgot me. You know, by some way you, you think now that you did this by yourselves, that you came here on your own. And nobody asked, you know, where is the Lord that led us out? And many times when we just came to salvation, you know, there's that burning passion for God because we remember because it was yesterday that I was still lost. And today I'm saved. And we are filled with this thankfulness for God for coming to give us life and to come and give us hope and come and give us a purpose. But then as we do our Christian lives, we tend to drift away from God because we think that we add something to our salvation. You know, like the church in Ephesus, you know, they think they are full of good works. Their doctrines are sorted, you know, they know the word of God. But in the process, we remove ourselves from God, thinking that we add a little something to our salvation. You know, we're not that in need of God anymore because now we are a people full of good works and moral purity. Now, now we think we are holy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's Christ alone that brought salvation to us. Jonathan Edwards actually says it well. He said, we add nothing to salvation except the sin that made it necessary. There's nothing we added and there's nothing we can take away. Christ alone. And you know, the Old Testament saints, they did, you know, all of them that actually remained close to God, they all did something to remind themselves of what God has done. You know, they, they were very good at building altars onto the Lord. 
When Noah comes and the flood subsided, he builds an altar unto the Lord to give sacrifice to God. When Joshua and the Israelites go over the Jordan into the promised land, they build an altar unto God. And they give sacrifices unto him. And whenever they come back to that place, they are reminded of what God did for them. And they give sacrifices again. To remember what God has done. You know, it was such a big theme through the Old Testament. You know, David writing, I will tell of your wonderful deeds. I will remind my children. And I will tell every generation that is to come of the deeds that the Lord has done. We will not forget what God has done for us. And then also in this life that we live, you know, we live in a postmodern society where human rights is a big thing. And, you know, we many times feel entitled to a lot of things. You know, it's my right to, or I'm entitled to. And we've grown up, you know, 2,000 years since Christ came. And we many times think, you know, that it's, it's our right to enter the presence of God. You know, we just have that right. And we stumble into the presence of God. We go ask what we want and we exit the presence of God. But we, are, we should have a fear of the presence of God. And many times we think of Hebrews 4 verse 16 that says, Yes, draw near with confidence. Draw near with boldness to the throne of grace. Yes, we can enter the presence of God with boldness, but the verse states, let us then, because of what Christ has done, because we have such a great high priest, who was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, now we can enter the presence of God, not based upon what we've done, because we've fallen, we've sinned. And you know, I think the, the book of Hebrews, they were written to the Hebrews and they knew the history of Israel. They interpreted the verse a little bit differently. Because many times today we think, you know, if I've sinned against God, can I go into God's presence? And they say, yes, draw near with boldness. Or I want to know, you know, if I want to go make an appeal before God, can I enter God's presence? And they said, yes, draw near with boldness. But what the Hebrew guys are thinking is, can I enter God's presence without, without dying? Because many times in the Old Testament, you know, they just did a sacrifice wrong and when they wanted to go into the presence of God, they were struck dead. Because as Mary said, we can't comprehend the holiness of God. Sin cannot enter His presence, but Jesus made a way. So the Hebrew guys are asking, can we enter without dying? And then they say, yes, based upon what Jesus has done. Then they draw near with boldness. And we should do the same. Um, that takes us to the first point. Keeping Jesus our first love by remembering who God is and what He has done. And it's when we, we know our state that we are in, you know, we, we, we know that we are fallen, we know that we are not perfect, and we know that we do not get things right. And we enter into the presence of God humbly. And we realize, you know, what a privilege it is to be in the presence of God. And we realize, you know, that God accepts me for who I am, and then I can accept others for who they are. Because that just flows through me. And the question I have for us tonight is, do you have an awe and a reverence for the presence of God? You know, do you see it as something that is your right or as a great privilege? You know, do you just enter into the presence of God, you know, thinking that this is just part of everyday life? Or do you really have an awe and a reverence? You know, being thankful to God that He made a way. Otherwise, we would not be able to enter. The Old Testament saints, they longed for what we have. They could only enter once a year, and that was one guy. They had to do sacrifices continually to enter once a year into the presence of God. We can do it every minute of every day, based upon what Jesus has done for us. And if you're sitting here and you're saying, yes, I have a honor reverence for the presence of God, then remember that and hold fast to it. Know who God is and remember what He's done. And if you've drifted away from that, just remind, just remind yourself again, 
of God. You know, I'm so glad we did communion tonight. As the, the slide also said, remembering his sacrifice. Jesus knew he would forget somewhere along the line. And he instituted this to say, you know, do this in remembrance of me. And when the church in Corinthians also started drifting away from God, in chapter 11, Paul writes to them again and says, this is the Lord's Supper. Do this again in remembrance of what he has done. And then turn back to God as your first love. And then the question we should ask ourselves as well now is, you know, Jesus made this, this way for us to enter into the presence of God. And he, we can do life now in the presence of God, but what should it look like practically? You know, how does, how does a life in the presence of God look like to you? How does a life in the will of God look like to you? And if we can go to the next slide. This is the second church on the list. And Jesus writes a letter to the church in Smyrna. I'm not quite sure how you pronounce that. But um, yeah, he, he writes this letter, and this is the will of God for this church. I'm glad it's not the letter to the church in Secunda. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and for ten days have tribulation. That doesn't sound too bad. And in the next one, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And again, God is present with this church. They're not being thrown into prison because he's not there. They're not going to have tribulation because he's not present. God is there, present with them, and they should be faithful unto death. You know, and it's Carl Albertine that was here last year, and he spoke about the will of God. And he said, you know, you can't think of a, of a moment in time more in the will of God than when Jesus was born. And he starts with, G, with Mary, nine months pregnant at the back of a donkey. Not very comfortable. The king of the world being born in a manger, and it doesn't quite fit our idea of what should have happened. Surely there should have, should have arrived a limo to take them to the place in a five-star hotel for the king of the world to be born in. And then our Western civilization, the prosperity gospel has entered, you know, and accept Jesus and everything will go fine. If you live a life in the presence of God, nothing will be wrong. If you draw near to Jesus, then you will have all you need. And that's true because we have Him, but not possessions. And it's like Psalm 23, you know, many times we think, and we love to quote the part that says, Jesus is our shepherd. And we have all that we need. And He leads us beside quiet streams and green pastures. But in that same Psalm, in the presence of God, we go through the valley of the shadow of death. And we are seated in the presence of our enemies. But our cup overflows. Why? Because it's in the presence of God. And we all know the quote, you know, joy isn't the absence of trouble, but it's the presence of God. And what's so great to me is, as Jesus writes to the church in Ephesus, he says that I am present among my churches, so draw near to me. You know, every trial or trouble we go through in life, the answer is always found in either who Jesus is or what he has done. And to this church who's supposed to be faithful unto death, he writes in verse 6, I am the one who's writing, the one who was dead. And he's alive forevermore. The one who has the keys of death and Hades. I have overcome death. So now I can say be faithful unto death. Because I can give you life. Because I have overcome death myself. To the fourth church Jesus writes the letter. They are struggling with sound doctrine. And Jesus says to the one who has the swap. And the two edged sword coming out of his mouth. I will give you the word of God to correct that. In every trial and tribulation we face in life. The answer is always found in either who Jesus is. Or what he has done. And we look to him, the author, and finish of our faith. And just to ask to us tonight as well, you know, just to bring it a bit home again, you know, what is our idea of the presence of God? If you are thinking of this year, and you are thinking of a life in the presence of God, you know, how does that play out? 
Is everything just smooth sailing? Does everything just go according to plan? And we should come to a place where we say, God, if, if I can wish a life for myself and for those around me, and I have two choices. The first one is that we go through life without any bumps and bruises and everything is just perfect. But we do not have you, then we do not want that life. And the second one, Lord, if our life is just filled with bumps and bruises and trials and tribulations, but the only thing we have is you, then that is the life I choose for myself. And that is the life I choose for those around me. Because you are more precious than anything that I can have. You are the one that fills. You are the one that sustains. It's like very sermon on Psalm 73 last year when David says, He behold the life of the wicked. And he asked himself, you know, have I kept my heart clean for no reason? Have I done good deeds and tried to be near to God for no reason? Because I look at the life of the wicked and they seem to flourish. You know, they have no illness. They have no pain. They have no trouble. But I try to be near to God, a godly man, and I have trials and tribulations all day long. And then it says, and when he entered into the presence of God, he realized. But God is better than life itself. When he entered into the presence, it all made sense. Knowing, Lord, that the end is destruction, but my end is with you. And David actually says, Lord, that in heaven I have no one beside you. And on earth I desire nothing more than you. You are the one that I want, and you are the one that I desire. And that takes us to point number two. Remembering to what we are called. And Paul actually writes to the church in Thessalonians, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 4. He says, We continually reminded you that you were to suffer affliction. And then in verse 6, when Timothy comes back with the good news that the the Thessalonians are still in their faith, it is because they knew to what they were called. They remember. This wasn't going to be easy. This wasn't going to be smooth sailings. But we are going to suffer affliction. As Christians, we only have two rights. And that is to be called sons and daughters of God and to suffer for the name of Jesus. That is our right, to suffer for the name of Jesus. You know, and when Paul writes to the Romans and he says, Be joyful always, and God is the God of hope. You know, they lived in a time where the emperor would take Christians and he would stuck them on crucifixions in the Roman cities and they would actually be the nightlight in the cities. Alive Christians on crucifixes burning. And in that context, you know, the, the apostles get captured in Acts 5 and they get beaten. And in verse 41 it says that they were so glad and they had so much joy because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. You know, Jesus doesn't look good when everything is going good in our lives and we say, you know, accept Jesus because he gave me this, that and that. But when everything is, is not going as planned, and when the things that I've planned for my life is not going as planned, and then I say, Christ is my life. There's nothing I desire more than God. And in that I have joy. Then that gives Christ glory. That gives glory unto God. Because otherwise it's based on my circumstances. It's not based upon who God is, it's based upon what God can give. So when He gives me good things, then I'm joyous. But when I only have Him, then I'm not so joyous. And that is where we should be at. And it's like Marie said last week as well at Canteens. Now we should examine the areas in our lives and, and see if there's joy in those areas. Because if there's no joy, it's not because, you know, the people, they are irritating or... Now I'm offended with church because someone did something wrong. It's because Jesus are not our center and priority in that place. Lack of Jesus, lack of joy. 
in any area of our life. And we should, in those times when, you know, everything's just going crazy, focus on Jesus and focus on the Holy Spirit to lead away because many times we try to figure out the Christian life then on our own. And that just led, leads to dead works. And then I just want to go to the next slide quickly, if we can go there. You know, to keep Jesus as our first love. The word, you know, Jesus as our first love, it has two meanings. The first, the first having to do with chronology and the second with priority. And A, like you can see on the screen, is as we love Jesus at first. It's not that we love Jesus no more. It's just that we don't love him with that zeal and that compassion that we had at first. And many times that is because we get busy with the works of Jesus. Now we get so busy doing the Christian life that we forget the one that sustains us in the process. And then number B, it has to do with turning our hearts away. You know, God writes to the Israelites in Jeremiah 2 verse 33, He says, How well do you direct your course to find love? How easy do you turn your hearts away? And many times we come to church and we come to God and we say, you know, we're seeking God. But like the prodigal son, we, we, we want a certain inheritance. And whatever that is in our lives, you know, many times we come to God saying, you know, Lord, if I can have a, a husband or a wife or a job or a car, or whatever it is it might be. And then when we see God for that purpose and He gives that thing to us, then all of a sudden we turn away from God. Because now we have that thing. And that thing becomes an idol in our lives. And God is no longer our first priority. If we can go to the next slide. Revelations 2 verse 5. The New Living Translation says it well. It says, Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. There's actually this quote that says, The greatest competitor for devotion to Jesus is service for Him. We many times get busy with the works of Christians that we forget about God in the process. And we still have that love for God. It's just not our first, first love anymore. We don't love Him with that zeal and compassion as we did in the beginning. You know, our desire is to be with God. And many times we also harbor the wrong idea that we can turn back to God through deeds. You know, when we, we have fallen away and I think to myself, okay, cool, I've messed up. I've messed up bad this vacation. So if I, for two weeks, you know, read my Bible every morning and I pray, then God will be okay with me. And it never works that way. We can never turn to Him through deeds because it's our love with all our heart that God wants. The greatest commandment to love God with all our heart. He's not interested in the things we do or the things we say. He's interested in us being with Him. And He will never turn us away when we, when we go to Him. And same with the Ephesians, you know, the, the problem was not the works that they did per se. Like, I don't, I don't think Christ has an issue with the church that has moral purity, sound doctrine and good works. The only issue was that that didn't flow from intimacy with Jesus. It didn't come from intimacy with Christ. It, it wasn't in the presence of God. And the will of God does not exist outside of the presence of God. Because we are here to build the kingdom of God. And the kingdom is not some abstract concept. But it's a reality that's only a reality when the king is present. Only when God is present is the kingdom of God here. And we are busy building into the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying to them, you know, these things that you are doing, you are not building the kingdom of God because the king is not your first priority. And you are not focused on the presence of God. And uh, we need to, we, we many times have this idea you know, that we labor for God. And it's true, we do labor for God, but mostly we labor with God. We are called to labor with God. Also in that passage of 2 Corinthians 5, it says that Christ makes his appeal through us. We don't go and make an appeal for God. He himself makes his appeal through us. And that takes us to point number three. Keeping Jesus our first love by remembering our first love comes before first works. 
Guys, and please have both because many times we realize that, you know, we've drifted away from Jesus and we've drifted away from God and we're actually just coming to church out of duty. We're just reading our Bible because we feel like we must. Don't stop doing those things. Just change your heart towards them. You know, you'll never draw near to God without the Bible and with prayer. C.H. Persian writes and he says, We were created by the Word of God, so is it any wonder that the Word of God sustains us? Just go do those things, but change your heart. Says, Lord, I know I've been coming to church just based on devotion, based on duty, Lord. I've just been coming because that was the natural thing to do. And I'm still going to come, Lord. I'm just changing my heart and saying that you are the reason that I'm here. And in the morning when I wake up and read my Bible, Lord, it's because I want to know you more. And when I pray, it's because I want to see your kingdom come, Lord. You are at the top of my devotion. I'm going to still do all of these things, Lord, but with my focus on you and with a dependency upon the Holy Spirit. And many times, you know, it, it sounds so obvious. And we've many times here that we should be dependent upon God. But, you know, ask yourself the question, how dependent on the Holy Spirit are you in everyday living? How much do you think about the active presence of God in your life? Bill Johnson, he has this illustration and says, when the Spirit descended on Jesus as a dove and remained on him, and he asked the question, how would you walk with a dove on your shoulder? And many people say carefully, but he says, I think a better interpretation would be with a dove in mind every step of the way. And you just focus on God, you know, being with us. Because many times we, we have the wrong idea of, I'm only going to go to God and I'm going to get guidance. I'm going to get a vision or, you know, I want to receive my calling. And when I've, when I've received it from Jesus, then I step out of the presence of God and I want to go do that on my own. And we actually willfully just move away from God because we have the wrong idea. Outside the presence of God, the will of, the, the will of God does not exist. It has to be with God. It was always meant to be that way. So yeah, that, that is dead works, which can also be an idol, but it, it mainly has the wrong, to do with the wrong idea about ministering unto God. And then the next slide takes us to point number B. Jeremiah 2 verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And many of us, we have listened to the sermon of John Piper on the ultimate essence of evil. And he uses this passage. And he says the ultimate essence of evil, no matter how it manifests itself physically, is that we desire something more than God. There's nothing worse than that, than desiring something more than God. I mean, you have for ourselves systems that can hold no water. Try and find for our things, things that can give us purpose or pleasure in life. And thinking if I build a big kingdom unto myself, you know, if I, if I earn a lot of money or if I have a lot of possessions or if I look cool in front of people, then that would give me a sense of purpose. That would give me a, a sense of, you know, that I'm alive. But it, also, it only offers temporal sensations. It's only God that can sustain us. You know, Carl Albertine also when he was here, he said, he made this statement, you know, he says, what do you desire more than to be with God? Because many times when we, we think of, you know, going away and being with God in heaven, we first have some ideas, but you know, God, I first, I first just want to have a family. I first just want to marry, have some children, and maybe build a ministry unto God. And those are all good things. But when we desire them more than God, it becomes idle in our lives. And it's quite, it's quite challenging for me as well. You know, my wife sitting there, I would love to have some kids. You know, and I'm challenged by the fact of thinking, you know, if I had to go and be with Jesus right now, would it be okay to let that go? And mostly my answer is no. Because how easily do we turn our hearts away? 
And we have to fight for that place, you know, to keep God at the, the center of our lives. To say, Lord, that there's nothing I desire more than you. And if we can ask ourselves the question, you know, what is it that we desire more than God, more than to be with God? Because every idol in our life, it comes from self. Because if, I, if money is an idol in my life, it's because I want a lot of money. If possessions is an idol in my life, it's because I want a lot of money. If marriage, then I want to be married. If kids, because I want to have kids. It's always I. You know, the, the first call of Jesus is to die to self and to live for him. You know, take up your cross and follow me. So no matter whether the thing is good or bad, you know, Jesus is be our first love. That takes us to the last point. Remembering that God alone can sustain us. And I'm also asking ourselves the question is how can we get to that place when we desire something more than God and it's when we forget point one. We forget who He is and what He's done. Because if we have this revelation of who God is, how can we desire anything more? And if we've tasted and we've seen, and we remember the goodness of God, how is it that we can drift away? It's not possible. And as you draw near to God, it's only God that can sustain us, you know. Maybe you are sitting here tonight and maybe feeling a bit condemned, and I just want to say that is not the word of God. If you are feeling condemned, if you feel you've drifted away from God, you are scared to enter. That is not of God. He is abounding in steadfast love, and He always accepts us when we draw near to God. He always invites us in. The Bible is full of God pursuing man and man turning his back on God, and God just keeps pursuing us. If God did not pursue us, you know, all of us would just fade away. Because we turn our hearts away so easily. And if we turn away our hearts, it's only because God pursues us that we can't turn our hearts back. It's only because He's busy working that we turn our hearts back. And if we can go to the next slide. You know, after this very hard passage in Jeremiah 2, and God just pointing out all the evil that Israel has done, and it actually fin- finishes off with God saying, He cannot think of something evil that they did not do. Everything possible that, they, that, that that's evil, they, they did. They've done everything. And then this is the big climax. Go and proclaim the words to the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. And then actually he uses this illustration. He says if, if a man separates from his wife and his wife goes around, Will he then return to her? And he says, yes, I will. I, the Lord, I will. If you've gone around and you've lost your faithfulness to me, I will take you back because I will not look in you in anger. I am a merciful God. Isn't that just amazing? It gives me so much comfort because I mess up so many times and so many times turn my heart away. And it's just great to know that whenever we draw near to God, He is a God that accepts us for who we are based on what Jesus has done. Everything I deserved placed on the cross of Jesus Christ and everything He deserved, He gave to me. Why, we'll never know. Maybe in heaven one day. That is the nature of God. And I just to realize that He didn't die on a cross somewhere, but He died on my cross that I deserved and took all that I deserved so that I can have all that He, that he deserves. And that is amazing. And on that note, guys, let's stand and pray. Yes, Father, thank you that 
We can come into your presence tonight, Lord, and just come and say thank you, Father, and for those of us who, who feel so near to you, Lord, I, I just proclaim over their lives, Lord, that they would remember, Lord, and hold fast to who you are, Lord, what you've done, and that you'd always remain in that area of their lives, Lord, always remain their first love, Father. And for us, Lord, who maybe feel that we have drifted away, Lord, and we cannot say with confidence that you are our first love, the invitation stands, Lord, like you give, return to me. I will not look on you with anger, but I am a merciful God. I'm just going to say thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that no matter what we've done, Lord, for some reason, Lord, you love us so much that you say my arms will always be open. No matter how many times you've turned away or how far you've fallen, I will still be here. Thank you, Jesus, that you say that you are present with your churches. You are never the one that drifts away. You are never the one that leaves us or forsakes us. For then, In fact, you say you'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. Thank you that we can serve such a God that desires to be with us, Father, that's constantly drawing us near. And for those of us tonight, Lord, that has never known you, you know, that they can't say with confidence, Lord, that, that I have given and surrendered my life to Jesus. I can't think of a time where he has ever been my first love. And you are calling tonight, Jesus, and saying, return and come to me. For I have paid the price. I have made the way. There's nothing you need to do. There's no works you need to go and do. There's no scripture you need to go and read on. There's no sin in your life that you have to remove. You come to me and I will deal with that. And thank you, Jesus, that you paid our price.